All right, well, welcome to part three in our uh, series that we started a, a few weeks ago called Bold. All right, and if you're just tuning in today, I know we had a Memorial Day weekend last weekend, so we lost a little bit of flow. So let me just recap what it is that we're talking about here in this series, just so we're all on the same page. What we're talking about is what we said here at STSA is one of our core values, all right, which is a personal call to evangelism that we believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission 2,000 years ago to a group of people standing in the Middle East somewhere and in sandals and uh, in robes and whatever they were wearing, all right, Jesus wasn't just speaking to those 12 guys, but that call to evangelism is just as much applicable to me as it was to them. And, as we say in our core value, our ninth core value, that God will hold each one of us accountable to it. Not saying that God will hold me accountable to preaching to every single person in the whole wide world, but God will hold the church accountable, and I'm a part of the church, so I have to do my part. Because there isn't anyone who could get every single person in the whole wide world, and that's not the point. But the point is, is that you do your part, and I do my part, and each one does their part, then we'll hit all the ends of the earth. And what we're talking about here in this series is what does that mean practically that I have a personal call and duty to evangelism today in today's age in the world that I live in? One of the things that I said in the very first week, and it's very important that we remember it throughout, is that evangelism is not, remind me, evangelism is not bringing others to Christ, right? Evangelism is not bringing others to Christ. Evangelism is bringing Christ to others, and there's a big difference. My job is not to bring others to Christ. My job is to bring Christ to others. Can I bring Christ? I'm sorry, can I bring every person that I know to Christ? No, but can I bring Christ to every person I know? Yes. That's a much more attainable goal and a much more practical goal. And it's something within all of our ability because God didn't call us to do things that are beyond our ability. He called us just to be witnesses to him wherever it is that we are. Then we saw in week two that what it means to be a witness, it's actually not as hard a job as we think. It has a lot more to do with like a sower planting seeds. And that's all our job is, is to be in tune with the master farmer who's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit tells us. And sometimes he'll say, speak. Sometimes he'll say, don't speak. Sometimes he'll say, uh, go. And sometimes he'll say, don't go. And we saw that with the example of Philip, how the Holy Spirit really guided his every step and picked him up and put him in front of this guy who happened to be reading Isaiah 53 and happened to say, I don't know what this Isaiah 53 is all about and happened to ask him the question. So we see the Holy Spirit is the one doing all the stuff. All we got to do is be ready that when called upon, we speak. And then when the Holy Spirit picks us up and moves us to another place, wherever it is that we are, we're always ready. If you remember, the key that I said is that we have to be obedient to God's call and willing to step out of our comfort zone. That was the key. We don't got to figure it out. We just got to be willing to step out of our comfort zone when we're called by God to do something like that. And I talked about how there's different styles of evangelism. Y'all remember, I gave you five examples, but there's many examples. We said some people, evangelism is like an intellectual thing. All right, some people, you know, they discuss, St. Paul was this way. He would go and he would discuss and he would reason and he would explain from the scriptures why Christ is the God. St. Peter was a confrontational, not uh, intellectual. St. Peter just kind of challenged people, said, you need to repent, you need to do this. Mother Teresa was a serving evangelist. A Samaritan woman was an inviting evangelist. Born blind man was a testimonial evangelist. Like evangelism doesn't have to mean that it has to all be one way. Like something as simple as, I've taken many mission trips to Africa. And I'm sure some other people here have as well. There's a certain kind of way evangelism is done in Africa. It's different than how evangelism might be done in Australia or in Europe or in other places. Some places it's teaching. Some places it's marketplace. Like it's, the whole point is the willingness 
to go outside of my comfort zone, caring about others because I care about God and willing to step out of my comfort zone for the sake of my love for God and my love for them. Today, we want to get into specifics. Today, I want to talk practically, very practically, about what does that mean and what does it look like on a practical basis to share and to witness. And how can I do that? I have no training. I have no degree. I don't got the cool black robe, okay, or anything like that. How can I, practically speaking, be an evangelist in my day-to-day life? Being an evangelist is easier said than done. Okay, it's very easy to speak about the importance of evangelism. It's very hard to do something about it. But we're going to try to talk, like I said, very practical and very simple to see that it might not be as hard as you're making it out to be. Here's going to be our, our, our theme verse here for today. And unbeknownst to me, like for those who are here during the liturgy, I actually spoke about this during the liturgy, this same concept, okay, because that's actually what the readings were all about today was this same idea about light, all right? And the verse is Matthew 5, 16, which says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your job as an evangelist is simple is to be filled with the light and then open the window. That's it. Be filled with the light and then open the window. You got to be filled with the light. You got to love God. You got to invest in your relationship with God and then open the window. Just don't close the window. And wherever it is that you go, don't do anything. Just let the window open. And when the window's open, the light is going to come outside. Because if I put a strong light inside this tower and you being the tower, and I put a strong light inside you, and then I open your mouth, light's going to come out. And I open your hands, light's going to come out. And I open your life, your house, your whatever, your cubicle, light is going to come out and you just got to be willing to open it up. We're talking about three steps. These three steps you can do at your work without getting fired. Okay. You can do it at your work. You can do it when you go to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. You can do it when you're sitting um, with a group of people just hanging out uh, on a Friday night. You can do it while you're playing basketball with a group of people you don't even know. These three things is very, very, very simple to do because none of them requires a degree or likes to be some secret agent Christian super guy. It just needs you to be light. Open your window. Three steps. Very simple. Step number one. I know this is very complicated, all right? But try to follow me on this one. Develop friendships. And when I say friendships, I mean with, don't tell anyone I'm going to say this, people outside the church. You know, the heathens, the pagans, those people who are outside the church. You're allowed to talk to them. And in fact, you're not only allowed to talk to them, but you're supposed to talk to them. And you're not even just supposed to talk to them, but you're supposed to befriend them. You know why? Because that's what Jesus did. And if we're his disciples and we follow his example, that's exactly what he did. A sad but true fact, studies say that the longer you are a churchgoer, the less evangelistic discussions you have with people outside the church. This graph shows you, I don't know how well you can see it. The bottom is years walking with Christ. The top is the number of significant, like quality interaction you have with other people who are far from God. Quality, not just that you work in the same cubicle and you ignore them. Or just you see them in the street and you want to get as far away from the heathen as possible. And you will see that the trend is that the more and more that you walk with Christ, unfortunately, the trend says the less and less quality interaction you will have with someone who is far from Christ, far from God, far from the church. And my experience 
says that that's probably about accurate. Because when you first came back to God, you wanted to share with everybody. And you love to share your story and tell people your story. You love to invite people to stuff. You love to, to be a witness to anything good that was happening in your life. But what happens after a while? The more and more that we're in church, we get settled. We have our church friends. We have our church meetings. And we're busy with church life. And church is busy in church and church and church and church. And then we see someone outside church and we don't got time for that person. We're busy people. We're going to church. I'm trying to figure out the psychology of it. And here's, here's my theory on how this works. I feel like before we're church people, like I always, like church is a good thing. I'm not against church, obviously. I love church, okay? And I, and I, and I think the church is the greatest thing on this earth because it's Christ on this earth. But what I don't like is churchy. You know what I'm saying? Like I like church, I don't like churchy. And that's one of the things that I love about this church is we intentionally, we don't ever want to be churchy. You know what churchy is? You know what it is, okay? You know what churchy is. We don't want to be churchy. Okay, we want to be the church of Christ because Christ's church wasn't churchy in a weird kind of a way, okay? Here's my theory on how it works. When you're outside the church, you know you have a conscience and you know that you should be friendly, you should be nice, and you don't really have much to fall back on, so you're nice to people. And you're kind to people, it makes you feel good, and you're kind of okay. But then what happens when you become a church person? When you become a church person, then all of a sudden, I read my Bible. I did my prayer, I did this, I did this, and I went to church, and I did this. So I got all these things that I'm falling back on. Who's the Starbucks clerk guy? Get out of my way, buddy. Hurry up and get me my coffee. I'm going to church. Who's the, 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 the homeless guy in the street? Get out of my way, man. I just throw you a nickel and hit you on the head with it, and I pray for you, but get out of my way. I'm going to church. To do. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God? It's exactly the story of the Good Samaritan. Y'all know the story of the Good Samaritan? I hate the story of the Good Samaritan because I'm so afraid that I'm going to be the story of the Good Samaritan, but not the Good Samaritan. The other two guys, the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite were churchy people who walked by a guy in need. Why? Believe me, I, the, the story doesn't tell us, but it's a parable so we can imagine. Believe me, I know why they walked by. Because they were on their way to church. Or they were on their way to um, a Bible study. Or they were on their way to prepare a Bible study to give to people. Because they're servants of God and they love Christ so much that they're going to go spend time reading the Bible. So get out of my way to the other guy. When we become churchy, we think we can trade. Okay, now I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to love others. Okay, how about I trade in this? I'll do a couple extra of these. So I'll trade in this for that. And we just do some of these and we think like, okay, it bounces out in the end. I don't think it bounces out in the end. And I'll tell you what's worse. I'll tell you what's worse. Let me rant. What's worse than avoiding people outside the church? You know what happens when you become a real professional church person? You don't just avoid them. You get annoyed by them. And you judge them. And that coworker who's always got a potty mouth, you get together with the other Christians and you say, that guy, that guy really needs Jesus. Because that guy's just got a foul mouth, and that guy's just, like, that guy needs to get a life, okay? He needs to stop complaining. He needs to get a life. Um, yes, he needs to get a life, and Jesus is who has the life, and Jesus sent you to give it to him. So stop judging him and go help him find it. I remember, true story, this is me. I'm judging myself. When we first moved in, like, not our first house when we got married, 
there was a single lady living next door. And we always refer to her as the Samaritan woman, okay? Because she was a single lady, but she always, like every, seemed like every two or three months, there was a different guy, okay, who was spending the night over there, all right? And I found myself judging her. I found myself judging her. And then the next neighbor after that, found myself judging him too, because he was always like complaining about the mailman, mixed up the mail, all this kind of stuff, and he hated that neighbor, and he's always, I found myself saying, he needs to get a life, and she needs to find Jesus. And then one day I went to church, and I heard a sermon about love your neighbor. I was like, yeah, that's a really important topic. We really need to And I realized that maybe God sent me to help the Samaritan woman and to help the uh, guy who hates the mailman so much with a passion. What happens when we become very church professionals is instead of walking towards people in need of God's love, we walk away from them. And the very people that Jesus came for, we find ourselves saying, stay as far away from them as possible. And we tell other people, stay as far away from them as possible. And all we just did is we just took those people who are far from God and we just made them a little bit further. And the same people that Christ was coming to get close to, we who carry Christ just moved him a little bit further away from those people and we made the problem that much worse. What would Jesus say to that neighbor? Better. What would Jesus say to me about that neighbor? He'd say Luke chapter 5 verse 31. He'd say, as it says right there, Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying, I came for them. And I sent you to the neighborhood for them. You're sitting there judging them, saying someone needs to do something. Someone does. That's you. You're the one that I sent. You're the one that I filled. You're the one that I moved you into that. Like, why do you think you moved into that person, right into that same person's neighborhood? Why do you think you're right next to that person? Like, maybe there's a reason. Maybe the Holy Spirit did with me what he did with Philip when he picked him up and he put him right next to this guy who happened to be in this time in his life. And if Philip had gotten there and said, man, someone needs to do something about this guy, we'd laugh at him. But maybe that's all of us. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus lived. Jesus went out of his way. Jesus was very close with his disciples. He loved them. He loved to hang out with them. But he went out of his way to not always be in his little church circle, his little disciple circle. And he went out of his way to say, hey, there's a lost person. Let's go after them. Hey, there's a person who's been marginalized by society. And society says that person's worthless. Hey, there's a person who's been rejected by, by their family, by their friends. I'm going after that person. And the disciples say, no, 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 let's stay here and make more fish sandwiches. He says, no, 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 we did the fish sandwiches. We'll do it again later on. But now I need to go to that person. And that person is very, very far away. But I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I didn't come just to hang out with you guys. I came, as it says Luke 19, 10, Son of Man is coming to seek and to save that which was lost. And then after I showed you an example, I created the church to do the exact same thing. The church is made to be not a place where we get together with our friends, to be a social club, to be a country club. The church is meant to be a place where we come together and we get filled by the Spirit of God. And then we go out there and we shine that light. And then we invite people to come and get that same filling. Why is this? That's why we call this the well, okay? For those who were here since the beginning, we call this the well because we really feel that the well is the perfect description of what the church is meant to be. The church, I'm sorry, the well, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, what was it? It was an ordinary place where something extraordinary happened. Why? Because someone met Jesus there. And that's what church is meant to be. An ordinary place in the middle of whatever's going on out there, whatever thing's going on out there, people there. It's an ordinary place. 
in an ordinary place where something extraordinary happens. Why? Because people come and they meet Jesus and their lives are never the same. That's what church is meant to be. Jesus loves, loves to leave behind the 99 and go after the one. He loves, even though he loves the 99. I'm not saying nothing against the 99. Like God loves us and he loves that we worship him and we have fellowship with him. Like he loves that. He loves us to spend time in his word. He loves that stuff. But he loves to walk away from there to go find that one and to bring that one into the 99. Like the hope is that then one comes in in the 99. It's not just that he leaves the 99. But he loves to do that. I'm afraid we do the opposite. I'm afraid that we leave the one to go to the 99. He left the 99 to go to the one. I'm afraid we leave the one to go to the 99. My friends are getting together over here. Well, there's that person who's kind of, well, you know, like I want to be with my friends. It's like junior high all over again. Okay, there's the, the kid in the corner. I don't want to be with that kid in the corner. I want to be with the cool kids. If our church ever becomes, we leave the one to go to the 99, then let's just close the doors. Agree? Can we do that? Let's just close the doors. Let's just close the doors. We would never want to be that. Again, I'm not, it's good that we have friends. It's good, it's good. But we have to balance this with that. And Jesus very often had great this, and then he went out for that one. And we need to do the same thing. We need to develop friendships outside of this. We need to become friends with the people at our work. We need to become friends with people in our neighborhoods. I'm not saying we need to be best friends with them and hang out with them every single day because that's evil company corrupts good habits. I'm not, I'm not saying it that way. But we have to uh, like build a relationship with them and establish something with them where maybe we become a bridge where Jesus can walk across that bridge and touch them and then they can walk across that bridge and come here and spend time here at the well and spend more time with him. If we're not doing that, we're not following the call of God. We, the worst thing that we can do is build a little Christian wall, okay, all around ourselves. And we say we don't do anything outside of this wall, okay? So when we wake up in the morning, we wake up to Christian music. And then when we uh, get on the website, we go to the Christian websites. Okay, when we have lunch at work, we sit by ourselves. We don't talk to the heathen. We sit by ourselves and read our Christian books. And then after work, we go out to our Christian gym to do our Christian workout routine, okay? And then after that, we go and chew our Christian gum the whole time. You don't believe me there's Christian gum? There's Christian gum. <laughs> Testaments. Okay. And we have our own little Christian world where it's a safe little bubble and we don't know nothing outside it. No, 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 we don't talk to them. No, 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 we don't read their books. No, no, we don't chew their gum, okay? We have our own gum, all right? We have our own little world. And I think that's the exact opposite of exactly everything Jesus came to do. Jesus came to get outside of that world. When Jesus said, like, not nothing against the gum, like, I'm sure it's, it's, it's very nice gum, but my point is, is the principle behind it. Okay, Jesus said, I sent you out as lambs among wolves. That's what he said. I sent you out as lambs among wolves. He didn't say, stay away from the wolves, just build a little wall amongst yourselves and just stay inside and, and, and don't open the door for the bad guys. He called us to be in, out in the world, to fill us, and then we go out so other people can see that same light. Something is wrong in your journey with God if the love for lost, for rejected for the little guy, the hurt guy. Something's wrong if that love isn't increasing. We all start at different points. I'm not saying, but I'm saying the more you walk with Christ, that love 
has to be going up. Because the more and more you walk with him and you see the way he looked, for example, at the Samaritan woman, a woman that we would have all judged, we'd say, get her out of here, she doesn't belong in our church. We'd say, this lady has no hope. How did he look at her? He looked at her and said, this poor lady. Like this poor lady. She's so broken. She's so sad. And what did he give her? Grace. Showered her with grace. How about the lady caught in adultery? Like the worst way that you can get caught. She got caught in the middle of the act and she was dragged out in the middle. Like the shame and the guilt and like, uh, just like you want to get away like to the, to the nth degree. And what did he say to that lady? He said, look, lady, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Like don't do it again, but I don't condemn you. I feel bad for you. That's okay. Thief on the right, the epitome. Thief on the right was a bad guy. Like, you got to be bad to get crucified. Like, they didn't crucify people for speeding tickets. He's being crucified means he was a, a bad guy. By all means, a bad guy. A guy that nobody wanted him around. The Jews didn't want him. The Romans didn't want him. He's a bad guy. But he said one word to Jesus. One word. And Jesus did what? Grace. Today you be with me in the kingdom. And I'm sure all the people was like, if they could take their eyes off of Jesus and look at this scenario here, like what in the world? But that's Jesus, his grace. He's filled with grace. Let that be our model. Let that be our model. That we look for people in need of grace and we shower them with grace. And if they reject grace, they reject grace. But we will shower them with grace. Look for coworkers in need of grace. Just go give them grace. Don't preach to them. Don't judge them. Just befriend them. Just befriend them and show them grace. One of our other core values. What's our first core value here at STSA? What's our first core value? Limitless acceptance. Okay, remember that one? Limitless acceptance. That we believe that every single person who is sent to us is the most important person in the whole wide world because it's God's child. Every single person is a child. That's what limitless acceptance is is that every single person, no matter how broken, no matter how bad, no matter how rejected, no matter how whatever, that's the most important person in the world because that's a child of God. Let that be our model. We're going to give you action items today. Action this week. Okay, this is a hard one. Go out of your way this week and invest, whatever word you want, develop, invest, whatever, an A friendship, an A relationship. But go out of your way. What I mean by go out of here, I want to I explain what I mean by that. Meaning, you like me, you pull into your driveway, okay, and you see your neighbors and you don't want to talk to them. Okay, so you pretend like you're on the phone. And then you just open the garage and you get inside the garage and you don't open your door until the garage is closed. Okay, you avoided your neighbor. Very good, congratulations. You go into the Panera or the Starbucks and you don't really want to talk to the clerk. You don't want to talk to that 16-year-old punk kid who doesn't know the difference between this and this. You just want to get your coffee. You want him to hurry up. You would like for him to give you a discount if possible. And then you want to get out of there. But this week, I'm going to pull in my house. And I'm going to look. Is there any neighbors around? I'm going to park in the driveway. And I'm going to go say, hey, what's your name? And I'm just going to say hello. I'm not going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to invite them to church. Necessarily, I may. But that's not, that's not step one. I'm just going to go say, hey. If I'm at the Starbucks and the cashier guy does a good job. I'm going to say, hey, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. What's your name? Hey, thank you so much. You did a good job. Like, it's not going to kill us. For me, it's totally unnatural. I'm not saying this is natural. 
But what I'm saying is that this is, the le this is like a very small step, but you don't know what big could happen from a small step like this. Maybe you bump into a, this, this is what happened to me sometimes, is I'll run into somebody, like someone that I haven't seen for like 10 years, and you just bump into them. And it's very easy to just say, hey, how's it going, what you doing, work? But ask yourself, maybe, like, maybe God arranged this bump in for a reason. So maybe instead of just, hey, how are you, what you doing, maybe I'll like, you know, say, hey, like, let's spend some time together. Like, like maybe, you never know, like, let's catch up and go beyond just the high and the buy stuff. Doing that, you might not win a soul today, but you may win a soul down the road. And you may find that person in the kingdom of heaven one day, and you may say, you may see that the starting point was a friendship that was developed just on the, on the lawn. Look, let me, let me make sure that you understand me on something here. I don't want you to think that what, you, see, what you're thinking in your head is easy for me to say because I'm a priest. Easy for me to say. I say, no, it's the exact opposite. You think people want to talk to me? You know who wants to talk to me? Some people do want to talk to me. But the people who want to talk to me either are, okay, so if you look at the spectrum of like ready to accept Christ, it's people at the end. People who know what they want and know where they want to go and then they found me and they say, okay, good, help me connect because they connect me with something church, all right? That very small segment wants to talk to me, but the rest of this population don't want to have anything to do with me. And when they see me coming, they, they're the ones who get on their cell phones. Okay, and pretend. When they see me coming, when they see you coming, you work with people. You have colleagues at work who, know, who are very far from God, who are very much in need of God. And you have an opportunity that you can be an evangelist to them. I don't have that opportunity. The majority of my day is spent with people who are close to God. The majority of my life is dealing with people who are church people. I'm not saying it's bad. Like, I, I love it. But I'm missing out on something that you have an opportunity for. In a lot of ways, I envy you. You know why? Because of this verse. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? This is you. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I envy you because you have an opportunity to do this much more than I do. And you can do this everywhere you go. Because everywhere, if you're in school, your entire school, if you're in work, your entire office, wherever it is that you are, you have an opportunity on a daily basis to meet with hundreds of people who are far from God. And all you got to do is start a friendship. What do I do after I start a friendship? Step two, discover stories. Discover stories. If you work in sales, the word is build rapport. Right? Y'all know what build rapport means? It means that when you develop a friendship with the coworker or the colleague or the neighbor, whatever it is, let's say me back to the Samaritan woman, I'm not going to say, hi, how are you? This is my name. What's your name? Do you know about hell and judgment day? Okay? Like, I'm not going to start off by talking about the seven scrolls in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to give her one of these stay out of hell free t-shirts, okay, when you I'm going to just develop a friendship. And developing a friendship, the most important part of it is, is listening more than speaking. This verse, 1 Corinthians 9. This is our theme verse for this series. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. What does that mean? What does that mean I became as a Jew? What's St. Paul saying? 
I'm not Jewish anymore. I'm Christian. I came as a Jew. What's that mean? It means when I met a Jewish guy, what did I talk to him about? Jewish stuff. Jewish restaurants, Jewish recipes, like whatever, okay? I talked to him about Jewish stuff. And then I met someone who was under the law. So I became like someone under the law. Why? That I might win those who are under the law. And then that, um, to those who are without the laws, without law, that I might win those without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. You got to memorize that verse. All things to all men, that by all means save some. You got to memorize that verse. That means you meet a weak person, and you talk about your weakness. And you listen to them talk about their weakness. You meet a person, like I'll tell you for me, if you look in the Bible, okay, even we, in, in the readings today from the, the liturgy, we, we, we saw this, is that how would Jesus build rapport with people? He didn't just come in and talk theology. What did Jesus talk about? Hey, let me tell you a story about a farmer. Why did he say that? Because he's standing in front of farmers. He didn't just come in and preach theology. He said, you guys who are sowing, let me tell you about a sower. And today, in the Acts, okay, the, the, the reading that we read, St. Paul would always do this. St. Paul went, okay, and the people there, he went to a place that was pagan. The people didn't know anything about anything. So he says, okay, let me tell you about God. And what did he say about God? I wish I brought the verse. It was so nice. He said, let me tell you about God, the God who makes, because they thought he was a God, okay, because he healed the guy who was sick, okay, in Lystra, the guy who was crippled. So they said, you're a God. He said, no, no, I'm not really a God. But let me tell you about God. There's a God who makes it rain, and it makes the sun come out. He's like, you guys have crops, right? And someone makes it rain, right? And you pray and you do the dance and all that stuff. Let me tell you who makes it rain. It's God. Let me tell you who makes the sun come out. It's God. And he talks to them about what they know about. Other times, St. Paul went to Athens, and they were all philosophers. So let me talk philosophy to you. And you believe in this unknown God. Well, can't be unknown. I know him. Let me share with who he is. He starts where the people are, and he speaks to them about that. For me, what's my, like, I don't have that many things that I understand in life. What's my build rapport with people? Sports, okay? Sports, because I love sports, and I discovered there, you can talk sports just about anybody. You can talk sports just about anybody, and anytime I want to build a rapport, because I, like, I don't, like, it's hard for me, but sports, it, it breaks ice with anybody. Even, one time I met the vice president, Dick Cheney, when he was the vice president, and I had to sit with him for, like, you know, five, ten minutes. And he, and all these guys were trying to, I know nothing about nothing. So they're like, ask him about this and ask him about this. And I'm like, and they were trying to trick me. Like, tell, like, ask him about Israel. What's his opinion? And I'm like, I don't want to ask him that stuff. So I'm sitting there in front of him. So I'm like, uh, we had this awkward, and I'm like, uh, Skins fan? And that worked. Okay, that got me through three uncomfortable minutes. We talked Skins for a few minutes. And Skins, by the way, if you're in this area, Skins is the best topic. Because misery, like, really, like, brings us all together. Okay. So you're a Skins fan, you have instant rapport with anyone who grew up in this area, and you can like bond over, you know, the, the missed extra field goal in 1999, and like all kinds of stuff, okay? You can... The point is, is I can't tell you how many people that I meet, and they have their guard up with me, and they, they don't want to talk to me, and then sports puts the guard down. And even to this day, I can think of people who are members of the church, who when I first met them, met like this, and now we're close friends, and they're strong members of the church, and the first conversation we had was sports. Sports, put the guard down. Whatever it is. I'm sports, you're not sports. Like, whatever it is that you are. Point is, every single person is passionate about something. Your job is to discover what they're passionate about, what they're interested in. And I discovered this, that every single person, 
when you get them to talk, everyone loves to talk. Everyone loves to talk. It's just a matter of breaking through and seeing what subject it is that they want to talk about. How do I figure out what subject? Two things. Jesus taught us these two things. Your action item for this week, when you've developed that friendship, you're talking to the neighbor, to the colleague, two things. Be with people, ask people questions. This is what Jesus taught us. Be with people, ask questions. Some of the most important conversations that Jesus had with his disciples and with people was in the middle of mundane, everyday tasks because he was with people. He's hanging out with Peter and Peter's fishing. So what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't say, finish that and let me come and give you a sermon. Jesus, you know what he did? He jumped in the boat with him. He went on a boat ride. And then he said, you know what? Throw your net over that side. Watch what something cool is going to happen. That's what Jesus did. He lived with people. And he was hanging out. Hey, Zacchaeus, you'd like to party, right? Okay, let's go to a party at your house. Okay, I'll come with you. And in the middle of the party, everything changed. That's the way Jesus was. He was with people where they were. He didn't stand on a platform and say, you come to me. He went to where people were. How am I going to hang out with a Samaritan woman? How in the world am I going to hang out with that lady? Well, she goes to the well to get water. Okay, I'll go to the well and get water. And I'll go and I won't drink before, so I'll be thirsty. It'll be a nice interaction. Like, we'll be able to build rapport around a cup of water. Jesus got into people's lives. And Jesus hung out with people. And Jesus shared life with people. He let people into his life, and he got into other people's lives. He didn't just preach sermons. He didn't just send them an email with verses. He did life with them. And then while in the middle of doing life with them, he asked questions. He asked questions. And he was intentional about asking. He was always looking for a way to go deeper. And this is where, I'll be honest, this is very hard for me. Because it's very easy for me to develop a friendship with my neighbor and always talk sports and always talk superficial. But it's very hard to delve into deeper matters. But that's the way Jesus was. He would see that we'd be just hanging out and they'd be, you know, uh, hey, we were hanging out with these group of Pharisees or these group of Jews and they said that you are Elijah. Oh, yeah? Who do you think I am? Just out of curiosity, who do you think I am? See how he did that? He asked questions. He didn't just accept it. Like he was always looking for a way to ask people questions. You, when you speak to people, you look for opportunities to go deeper. And someone may say something about heaven, hell, death, life. You look, you look for opportunities to get inside there. Let me warn you on something. If you're going to do this step, you must be prepared. If you are going to do the working evangelist, you must be prepared to roll up them sleeves because the working evangelist is messy work. True story. Once... True story about how you have to be prepared to deal with mess that you don't want to deal with. Once, I was sitting with a young man. Um, he was uh, probably like 19, 20, 21, somewhere around there. Okay? He didn't want to talk to me. Very clear. But his mom kept bugging me to talk to him. So his mom you know, emailed me and called me, whatever, and talked to my boy, talked to my boy. So eventually... I got the boy, and the boy came, okay? But very clear, like he was, like, like he was ready to fight. Like he was, I'm going to come, I'm going to sit, I'm not going to smile, I'm not going to make any facial expression, I'm going to answer all your questions very superficially, and I'm going to walk out, and I'm going to tell my mom that was the biggest waste of time ever. So this is the fun part of the job, okay, where you get to sit with someone like this. And I want to tell him, like, I don't really want to sit with you just as much as you don't want to sit with me, okay? But I'm sitting with him. And I remember I tried the sports thing, and he's not into sports, okay? But eventually, 
I was able to break a little bit of ice, okay, after a very cold, probably seven, eight minutes, just awkward, okay? You know how awkward it is to sit in your office with someone else and they just give you one-word answers and you don't even know anything about them? Like, it's very awkward. So I'm trying and I finally broke through the ice. Somehow, like, I don't remember exactly. Some, I remember something related to my high school. Like, I don't think he went to my high school, but he somehow, like, it's one of those, like, you know, he went there, he knew people from there, I knew people from his high school. I don't remember what it was. It was something meaningless. But somehow, there was, like, a little crack where, like, we had, like, a little a normal conversation. A little normal conversation. And somehow, believe me, believe me, what I wanted to do is say, okay, this was good. We established that. Glory be to God forever. Amen. And just, I did what I, I did my best. But I could see his mom in my head. Okay? No, but not in that way. Not in like, not like I'm scared of the mom. As much as I felt bad for the mom, because she just was like, it's her son. And I could imagine her mom saying, his mom saying to me, like, like, it's my son. Like, try for my son. Like, it's my son. So I said, okay, you know what, for the mom's sake and, you know, the father's sake, okay, you know what, I... And I said something to the effect, I don't remember. It wasn't that threatening, okay, but something around, like, are you happy? I said, are you happy? And then I remember how I said it, in what context, some, again, forgive me, for the, I'm mangling the details, but the details aren't really important. I said, are you happy? And he went a little bit. And he said, mm, yeah. You wouldn't understand. You wouldn't understand. It's so easy for me to say, you're right, I don't understand. Okay, thank you for coming. Like, you know, let me pray for you, whatever. You wouldn't understand. I said, why wouldn't I understand? And then the mess came. And then he said, he opened. He said, because I'm gay. You know when time kind of stands still? <laughs> and I don't know how long that pause was. But that was one of those, like, what in the world do I say now? <laughs> because no matter what kind of rapport I had built, this is a make or break moment. My instant reaction is make or break. Instant reaction, make or break. I respond this way, I'm just going to validate, and I think actually what he was doing. He was doing this so that I would come like this, and he would validate exactly as I thought. He's going to judge me. He's going to... Exactly what I thought. He wanted to validate his preconceived ideas about who I am, who the church is, and who God is. So I said, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And then God gave me wisdom. You might say this is a dumb answer, and it's a very dumb answer, but somehow it worked. I said, <laughs> I said, but it, it, don't take it the wrong way, like I didn't say it bad. I said, oh, your mom didn't put that in the email. <laughs> But I said it in a funny way, okay, where he laughed, like it was like a joke, because like he thought his mom was annoying, and he kind of felt like I thought his mom was annoying as well. <laughs> so I said something like, oh, you know, your mom didn't put that in the email. But I did it with a smile, and then he chuckled, and we had a very nice conversation after that. And that was the start of many conversations we've had together. Probably had four or five since that time. And never once did I tell him that he's going to hell unless he repents. Never once did I tell him that God hates his guts. I'll leave that to other people to tell him that. I didn't say any of that stuff. I said, oh, your mom didn't put that in the email. And then we continued our discussion. Now we may have broached the topic. I don't even think we, we've talked about it since. Now you say, wait a minute. Hold on. Someone pull out the church police <laughs> siren. <laughs> you were supposed to tell him 
that he's bad. You were supposed to tell him that he's a sinner. You're supposed to send him away and tell him that unless he repents, he has no place in the kingdom of God. Really? Because I don't think that's what Jesus would have done. I know people disagree with me on this one. I don't think that's what Jesus would have done. Back to the Samaritan woman. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman, he knew what she was doing, and she came and talked to him. Did he say to her, lady, you're bad. Stop living in sin, and then come talk to me. He never said that. He never said that. What he said to her is, lady, I got something good for you. And that was my focus with this guy as well, is look, God has a great gift for you. God has a great gift for you, and God loves you very much. And I want to help you find this gift. And anything I can do to help you find it, I'm help you find it. Some may say, I skirted the issue. I avoided the issue. I would say, I went to the root issue. Because the sin is always the symptom. Your colleague, your neighbor, your whatever, don't sit there and tell them that they're bad. They know they're bad. You know why they're bad? Because they don't have Christ in their life. And maybe if we tell them about the gift, like Jesus didn't expect people who are far from him to be good. He didn't expect that from people because he knew that without him, they can't be good. And let's be honest. Like if we're going to be honest, let's be honest. Can we say that we were good without him? Like we can say that on our own, we were born good and we were born righteous and that's why we're good. We say that we, if any good comes from us, it's because we have him in our life. How do you expect someone who doesn't have him to be good? Why do you expect someone who is far from God to have their life together? Why are you surprised when they say, my life is a mess and I got all kinds of problems? It should be a mess because you're far from God. But we're trying to tell you that when you have God, he fixes mess. Because he's grace. He's love. He's truth. But don't, don't, don't do truth without grace. And that's the way Jesus with the Samaritan woman, that's what, with the lady caught in adultery, okay? I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. See how it is? It's not go sin no more, and then when you come back, I tell you I don't condemn you. No, no, no. It's I don't condemn you, but go sin no more. That's the worst thing. Jesus never expected people far from God to have their lives together. I'll be honest. Okay, I'll be honest. We're close to God. We're close to God. We're messed up. We're messed up. We're close to God. We're in church. We take communion. We're the good church people. We are messed up. Don't be surprised when someone far from God is messed up. And in the grand scheme of messed upness, they may be, you may be this messed up and they may be a little bit more messed up, but we're all messed up. And the difference, I always say the difference between drowning in 50 feet of water versus 500 feet of water is no difference. Either way, you're underwater. What I said during the liturgy today the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. When you see someone who's messed up, Pharisees judged, Jesus helped. When you see your neighbor messed up, Pharisees judge, Jesus helps. Which one are you? You see your colleagues messed up, you judge or you help? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech Always be seasoned with grace. When I saw this verse, I'm not trying to toot my own horn like I'm, I'm great. 
My speech that day with that young man was seasoned with grace. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We, our speech needs to be seasoned with grace because we need to see the person in front of us through the eyes of Christ. And when Jesus looked at messed up people, Jesus didn't look at them and say, why are you sick? Jesus looked at them and said, I can heal you. I love this verse. 1 Samuel 16, 7. This is for you, for your annoying boss, coworker, neighbor, whatever. The one who you avoid and they annoy you and how come they don't get their life together? Look what it says here, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. First step we're going to do this week is we're going to develop friendships. We're not going to pull into the driveway. We're, going to park, we're not going to pull in the garage. We're going to park in the driveway. It's going to be a historic event in the neighborhood. We are not going to just hide in our cubicle with our little earphones on and pretend like we don't hear people around us. We're not going to like what I told you I like to do on the plane, okay, which is just bury my head in something and just, yeah, pretend like I don't hear the person next to me. We're not going to do that. We are going to be open to engaging people and developing friendships outside. When we develop those friendships, what are we going to do? We're going to listen. We're going to talk, but we're going to ask questions more than anything else to try to get that person to speak and to open and to see what it is, There's, is their story. Everyone has a story that they want to tell. Ask enough questions and you'll find it. Not intrusive. I'm not saying it in an intrusive way, in a loving way. Loving is never intrusive. Intrusive is asking questions without love. With love is never intrusive. And then the third step is now you have to respond. You have to respond. You can't just listen. He can't just tell me this news and I say, that's great. Congratulations. Okay? I have to respond. What do I respond? Discern next steps. And actually, that's a typo. Next step. Discern next step, not steps. And that's an important distinction. That S makes a big difference. Look. Some situations, the only thing you can do is pray for people. But there's a lot of other situations where you can do more than pray for people. And all I'm saying is your job is to help the person with just one step. One step. Don't tell them everything they need to do to become a priest or a monk or a nun. Don't tell them that. Don't tell them all the things they need to do to get their life back together. Don't tell them that. Help them by prayer, by the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's he's the one who's guiding us. We talked about this last time. Help them to discern what's the next step. So my friend who came and sat with me, who dropped the mess on me, I don't need to tell him all the things he needs to do the rest of his life. But you know what he needs right now? What I felt overwhelmingly? He needs to know that God loves him. That's what he needs. He didn't need all these steps. He needs them all eventually. He just needs one step. He just needs to know God loves him. So you know what, buddy? Why don't you read this book? I'm telling you, this book is going to touch you. And this book isn't going to condemn his lifestyle. Or, it's just going to tell him, Jesus really loves you. Because I felt like that was the next step. And then maybe the next step after that, maybe that he needs to develop some godly friendships. And then maybe the next step after that is he needs to repent and confess his sins. Not saying fix all his stuff. Okay, I'm not saying he needs to come and say, I'm no more gay. I'm not saying it like that. But I'm saying come and, and confess your sin and begin that. Because it's a step, and then a step, and then a step, and then a step. Like I'm saying, 
The person needs to get to the end before they die. Not by the end of this conversation. Help them see one step. Help them to see one step. Maybe that's a book to read. Maybe that's a sermon to listen to. Maybe that's a, hey, come hang out with us after church. Maybe come to church. Maybe come and just hang out at my house, a group of us get together. One step. And then if you help them with one step, and then the next guy helps them with one step, and one, it's just one step. It becomes a lot less daunting. How do I know what the step is? You lift your eyes up, just like I did in my 911 situation, okay, in my office with that boy. You lift your heart up, and you say, Luke 12, 12. You have to memorize this verse. Luke 12, it's very easy to memorize. Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And sometimes I get stuck, and I say, God, knock, knock, Luke 12, 12. You said it, not me. I didn't write it. You wrote it. You said it. Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You said it. I'm calling you out on it. Please deliver one Holy Spirit, one right now. Said another way, I feel like our job is to be a next step resource provider. What is the person in front of me? What's their hurt coming from? Maybe they're rejected. They felt rejected. So maybe the next step for them is like to know that the church cares about them. How would they know the church cares about them? Hey, come hang out with us. Like just come hang out. That's the next step. Now they know that like, hey, someone cares about me. Some people, their, their brokenness is coming from like rejection from their parents. And then they attribute that rejection parents to rejection God. They just need to know that even if my father and mother forsake me, God will never leave me. Like, what's the next step for them? Some people, next step needs to be truth. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you never tell someone, call someone out on their sin. I'm not saying it like that. All I'm saying is, don't always be this. Don't always, it's no one size fits all. Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say, and you help that person just take that next step. Is this easy? No. This is you taking a step out there. And you are risking rejection. You're risking them saying, I don't want to go to your church. Leave me alone. You're risking them saying, I don't have anything to do with you and your group of friends. You're risking them opening up a real can of worms and saying, your God, tell me about your God. Let me tell you how bad your God is. You're opening up a can of stuff and potential there as you get yourself in a messy situation that you're not prepared for. And that's a risk. But you know what's also a risk? Is that one day you'll stand before God and God say, I sent my son. I had him ask a question. I gave you the resource in your mind, and you didn't connect the dots. That, to me, is a much greater risk. St. Paul says this verse. I'll leave you all with this verse. This verse is the key to evangelism. It's the key to everything we do. Why St. Paul? St. Paul was a crazy person. He's a crazy person. Actually, even today during the liturgy, for those who are here, we read a story about how St. Paul, is in Acts 14, was raised up that story of saying they thought he was like a god. Okay, and then they said, he's the best, he's the best. And then a group of people came from another town, and they said, no, he's actually the worst. He's the worst? Okay, so then they stoned him. And they started beating him with rocks. And you know why they stopped stoning him? You know why they stopped? They thought he was dead. They said, okay, he's done, leave him alone. And then they went away. St. Paul gets up, shakes off the dirt. What does he do? He goes back into that town and starts preaching again. Like, he's a crazy person. Any one of us would say, like, God closed the door. Like, God closed the door. It clearly got, like, has anyone ever had a rock thrown at their head before? Anyone? Anyone ever had a chance where they've had people try to stone them to death? No. Like, someone says to us one word, and we say, God closed the door. It stoned him and left him for dead. He 
went back in the city. He's a crazy person. You say St. Paul has a situation in his head. Does he? I think he has a situation in his heart. 2 Corinthians 5.14. Love of Christ compels us. St. Paul, what in the world made you go back in that city and preach the gospel? At least go back and lay low. Like it doesn't need to be. Verse 17, they stone you. In verse 18, you're preaching again. Put a few verses in between there. Love of Christ. Love of Christ compels us. Love of Christ. Love of Christ. Love of Christ, kids. Because we talked about this many times. I can't love him without loving them. And I can't love them without loving him. If you have that love of Christ inside you, it must compel you to do something. It must. Because what Christ was, he could see, forget about the people in the Bible. Let's talk about your people, your annoying neighbor. You know what Jesus sees inside that person? He sees someone who's just had a tough break after tough break after tough break. You know how a father or a mother can never see anything wrong in their kids. They make excuse after excuse about how their kids should have gotten an A plus and everything because their kids are genius. Like, you know how every mom is like that. They can't see anything wrong with their kid. God is the same way. All the moms are smirking right now. Okay, sorry. God is the same way. God is the same way. We say, no, God, that lady's bad. He says, no, no, she just had some tough breaks. Give her another chance. Give her another chance. We know, God, that coworker guy, he's got a potty mouth. Okay, He's potty mouth. He's bad. He says, well, you know, it's just the way he was raised and, you know, like something happened to him last week. Like, it's okay, it's okay. That's what he sees. He sees his kid who just had a couple tough breaks. What do you see? What do you see? Every day we have hundreds of opportunities, hundreds of opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ on this earth. And you have opportunities people all around you, the kid, the womanizing colleague guy, the partying uh, neighbor kids, you have opportunities all around you to be Christ to them. Develop friendships, discover stories, discern next steps. Can we do that this week? That's your homework assignment. That's your homework assignment to take that and take it seriously. And when we come together Hopefully, when we come together, we'll be able to, we'll come together up there, as I meant. We'll get together up there. We'll be able to hear stories. Like, just imagine up there and you start to hear stories. And you see people coming at you, say, hey, you, I want to talk to you. Who's me? So you said hi to me that one day, and you started this chain of events. You say, me? All I did was say, hey, when you were mowing the lawn. So that started a chain of events. And we'll discover when we get up there that the questions we asked, the be with people moments that we were, the little resources that we provided, the invitations we made, those little things may have eternal significance in the kingdom of heaven one day. That's what love of Christ compels us is all about. All right? Let's stand up and say a prayer together, please. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart because you don't judge us and you don't look at us with eyes of condemnation but always with eyes of grace. Lord, if you could look upon the Samaritan woman and the thief on the right and you could just shower them with so much grace, Lord, how can we look at the people around us 
Like, forgive us for looking at them with judging eyes and eyes of disdain and like, like judging them inside our hearts. Lord, please put your love inside of us. Put your eyes inside of us to see people as you see, to see the potential that you saw in so many people and to see what they could become if they knew you. Not to see what they are, but to see what they could be when they know you and develop that relationship with you. Give us, Lord, to, to have opportunities this week to develop these friendships and guide us by your spirit, Lord, so that we can take those next steps to discover people's stories and that you would provide us with the right word at the right time to discern the next steps for those we come in contact with. We pray, Lord, that, that your church here would always be arms open wide, limitless acceptance, and I pray that spirit would always overflow anytime we gather together, whether it's gathering on Sundays or on Mondays or on Tuesdays or on Fridays or any day of the week, Lord, that that sense of, 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 of love for every person would always be there. We pray this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. See you all next weekend.